Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, sleepyheads. This is episode 28 of The Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and come now, Lieutenant. If there is an eternity before us, let's face it with chin held high. And I'm Barb, and I'm checking to make sure I didn't leave my cell phone in an old stone manner. (laughs) Okay, so today we're going to be discussing the 10th Sleepy Hollow episode of Season 3 entitled Incident at Stone Manor which was written by M. Raven Metzner and directed by Dwight Little. How would you like a little recap, Steve? Please give it to us. I will. And I really enjoyed this episode. I have a feeling we can talk about it a little bit after the recap, you think? Oh, yeah. All right, we'll do that. Well, this episode picks up where we left off last week, with Abby waking up on the ground in a strange place. She moves toward the light, and we see that she is in the catacombs of an old temple in an ancient rocky wasteland. She spends her time exploring her surroundings, creating a map on the temple wall, marking her days, and looking for a way out. The Eye of Providence is on the ground next to her, and during her wanderings, she finds an old, rusty sword. Monotony and a fear of sinking into madness are her greatest enemies, and she passes the time by talking to and playing chess against an imaginary crane. Meanwhile, At the Old Stone Manor Academy, a building renovation is underway, and a worker leaving for the day goes back inside to retrieve his cell phone. A stone gargoyle comes to life and throws him from the tower. Danny and Sophie arrive at the scene the next morning, and Sophie is to investigate the case. Joe knocks at a door, distracting a man, while Jenny sneaks into the home and steals a lighter with E. Mills engraved on it. Joe learns the man's name is Ezra Mills and asks Jenny why she didn't tell him this was her father as they discuss trust issues. The lighter is one of three artifacts that they have acquired for Inkabod Crane to use as a part of a spell. It will enable his spirit to leave his body as an ancestral projection so that he can travel to different planes of reality to find Abby during a planetary convergence. He has built a spirit cabinet to enable him to travel. Jenny has provided her father's lighter, Grace Dixon's journal, which belonged to her mother, and a necklace she received from Abby. Crane lights the candle, and the smoke tethers him to the real world. When the candle goes out, Crane should return. The candle is lit, Jenny encants the spell, and Crane nods out with his astral projection on the hunt for Abby. While Joe and Jenny are waiting for Crane's astral projection to return, Sophie seeks Crane's assistance with the gargoyle and, finding him unavailable, turns to Jenny and Joe. They investigate the building's history and discover that the building was moved from France. They find a coded message in one of the letters, learning that Betsy Ross, as George General Washington's attache, was meeting the Marquis de Lafayette. Lafayette was pledging his assistance to the American Revolution. The British unleashed a creature to end this new alliance, the gargoyle. Sophie and Jenny disagree on how to stop the gargoyle, and Joe convinces them that they all need to work together. Jenny uses holy water on it, and Sophie ensures it is covered with concrete, finally stopping the creature. 
Crane's spirit finds Abby and learns she has been gone for 10 months versus the several weeks that he believed. They examine the hieroglyphics and determine that the Eye of Providence holds the key to getting back to their world. Crane tells Abby that the cutlass belonged to Betsy Ross. The Hidden One brings his and Pandora's stone home to Sleepy Hollow, and they seem to be a happy couple again, but it doesn't last. Moving the home has drained his power, and Pandora follows Crane's astral projection to find Abby and the Eye. Pandora appears in the catacombs and offers to get Abby out if she brings Pandora and the Hidden One the Eye. Pandora cuts Crane's tether so that he will float free for all eternity. Abby destroys the eye, and Pandora leaves. Abby thinks through all the things that Crane told her and realizes that Betsy Ross was there, but returned via another passage. She returns to the tree stump, uses the roots to climb into the well, and keeps encouraging the spirit Crane to stay with her. She arrives in the real world, emerging from a lake. Rushing to the archives, Abby and Jenny reunite, hugging fiercely. Abby goes to Crane, still in his trance-like state, and tells him to come back. The candle lights. Crane awakes. Crane tells Abby he heard her voice, and he followed her. Then he's back to his old self. In the final scene, we see Pandora and the Hidden One. She apologizes for failing and tells him the eye is destroyed. She offers to give him back some of the power he gave her, and he takes it. Pandora lies on the floor as blood begins to ooze out of her eye. Absolutely fantastic episode. It was great. I can't wait to discuss it. All right. So let's let's talk about news first. Let's do it. We do have some numbers. Episode 9, One Life. We do have the live plus three days. It was 23rd overall in viewers gain, going from 3.13 million viewers to 4.5 million viewers for an increase of 1.39 million, which is a 44% increase. And I'm sure we'll be over five for the live plus seven, which is what I believe it's going to take to get us renewed. Now, this week's episode, Incident at Stone Manor, The preliminary numbers are 3.17 million viewers with a 0.7 rating among adults 18 to 49. So our viewers were up slightly from last week, but the share was down a little bit. So we'll see if the final numbers get adjusted up or down or stay flat. Now, most shows were either flat or slightly down for this past Friday. Now, Monday is a holiday for a lot of people, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. And based on the lack of cars I saw in the work parking lot on Friday afternoon, (laughs) my guess is a lot of people may have taken off for the weekend, made it a long weekend. And so Friday night viewing may be postponed for a while. Yes. They'll have to watch it on, on their recording or by streaming or something else. Right. So we may not see, even see a big bump in the live plus three, but we probably will see a huge bump in the live plus seven for for this episode. Yeah, I'd agree. Well, what kind of rating did you give this episode, Steve? Well, I gave this episode nine head full of rocks. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that was a great line. And I gave it it nine cement ponds. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Yeah, I think that there were so many great moments in this episode. And what, of course, I really enjoyed was seeing Abby back again this week. Yes. And oh, the performance she gave. Yes, it was award-winning worthy. That's what I think, too. All right, but let's start off with Team Second Tribulation here. 
to me, it was real interesting that we get to see them outside admiring the scenery and still complaining about the mortals and what they've done to the land. And yet the hidden one turns right around and raises their ruck home into a mountainside. Well, that's because he's going to destroy everyone, right? And he has to have a place to live. Well, they had a place, but he didn't want to walk or go back to it. He just, oh, let me bring it here. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And he's, oh, but I'm doing this out of my love for you. And you go, okay, what changed? Because that didn't completely want add up to some of the attitude that we've gotten from him concerning her to begin with. Well, you know what I think of him. You can read it in the show notes. (laughs) Exactly. Shall I say it now? I think he's a self-serving jerk. (laughs) Most demigods are. (laughs) But we find out that Pandora still seems to have the uh, koi pond and is able to discover that Crane is in astral projection mode, and so she follows. And that surprised me because I thought the koi pond was in her lair, and I thought her lair was pretty much blown to smithereens. Although, exactly, I guess they could have magically cleaned it up, but that, yeah, that did surprise me quite a bit. Yes. But then we get to see just a hint of the old evil Pandora as she confronts both Abby and Crane and wants to make a deal. You know, she'll show them how to use the eye to get out of there if they will bring it back. Wow, what a deal. Yeah. (laughs) Give me the eye, I'll bring you back, and then when we're all back, I will destroy you. Yes, and Abby sees through that very poor deal that she made them. Pandora couldn't do anything to harm her. Exactly. Which was smart, but she shouldn't have said it. No, because then... Because as soon as she said it, Pandora goes, yeah, but I can hurt him. Yes, she did do that, didn't she? That was immediate. She goes, cuts his tether and Crane disappears. And you're right. That was truly the evil Pandora that we saw in the first half of the season. Yes, it was. Now she's sweetened the deal by saying, well, I'll bring Crane back and you back together. And Abby goes, not only no, but no. And this is what I think of your eye and crushes. And Pandora just rages on her. You imbecile. Pandora was ticked. Yes. That was the one thing that I don't think she expected Abby to do. Because she really thought Abby was more, I guess, self-centered than Abby is. And I thought that was great to see that happen to Pandora. Because you knew... Just with the way she reacted, she goes, oh, I've just done bit the big one. Well, I'm not so much certain that perhaps she thought that Abby was self-centered, but I think that she believes that perhaps the humans are weak and they will capitulate to save the person that they love. Right. And Abby didn't do that. No. And so when we see her wake up from her projection, we see a completely different Pandora. She is so totally submissive to the Hidden One because she not only failed to bring the eye back, but now it's destroyed. And he was not happy because he wants his power. He said he was hungry. 
Yes, it pains him. Oh, too bad. Poor baby. (laughs) Exactly. So she offers him some of her power, which he had originally given to her, which was something we didn't know, but it makes a lot of sense. It does. At first, he seemed to be touched by her offer. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, he's not going to really do it because they're so much in love, but wrong. Yeah. (laughs) He sucks that power out just like that. And that's why I go back to saying he's a self-serving jerk. He's a narcissistic god. And it's all about him. But she's so strong. Why Why does she put up with that nonsense from him? But he really is. I mean, I'm sorry. He's a jerk. And I liked Pandora as the evil person that we saw in the catacomb because she plays that role so well. Well. And I don't understand why this strong woman who's able to do that puts up with so much nonsense from this guy. I guess they didn't spend enough millennia apart. Apparently so. And you would think if he's in a weakened state that she might be able to take him down. I wish she would. Yes, that would be nice. All right, Barb, tell us about Team Witness. All right. So good old Jenny and Joe. So we began with Joe distracting Ezra Mills while Jenny stole his lighter so that she could have something for mom and from dad and from sis. But Jenny kind of forgot to tell Joe they were stealing from daddy dearest. (laughs) But my question is, if Joe knew that they had to go get artifacts, family type artifacts, where on earth did he think they were going? Yeah. I mean, did he think that perhaps something that belonged to the family had ended up at a flea market and Jenny knew where to find it because she's an artifact hunter? I don't know. But that seemed a little bit strange to me. So, of course, then they had to have that inevitable trust discussion that I think they're probably going to have a few more times before the season is over. I believe you're absolutely right. And, and I think that it was funny that, I mean, Joe said to her, well, you trust me with monsters, but not with your dad. To me, that says, okay, she thinks that dad is worse than any of those monsters she's seen so far. Ooh, ow. Yeah, but she said that to Abby, basically. Yeah, she did. You're right. She said, you want to have contact with that deadbeat? Uh-huh, she did say that. So, yeah, she does not have any positive thoughts about her father. They're all just negative. No, you're right about that. But, you know, this week, what was fun to watch were Jenny and Joe, because they were kind of like the comic relief this week, weren't they? Oh, big time. And what was really funny was watching them talk to Sophie, and they were talking about and imitating what Abby and Crane would do if they were helping yes. to help Sophie. That Jenny said, oh, well, that Abby would have to get her cup of coffee. And then Joe said, and Crane would do that thing with his hands, and then yeah. he's waving his finger in the air, and exactly the way that Crane would have done it. And I just <laughs> burst out laughing. They did that several times during the episode, and it was extremely funny the way that they were poking fun at themselves. Yes, and that made sense that they hadn't been together without either one of them having to battle a demon. So they're kind of running it through their head at the same time as Sophie's trying to question him what to do next, what to do next. I know. And you know what? It really was so smart. It was so funny, but it was so smart because that's exactly what they should do is what if we learn from these problem-solving and fighting monsters techniques that Abby and Crane have taught us in the past, and so let's kind of process that and go through it. Very smart on their part. Yes, but it also made for some great comic relief. <laughs> it was. It was hysterical. And that's what happened. So Sophie came to find them. Actually, she came to find Crane because she wanted his help. And so she finds them. 
because they're their babysitting crane, you know, <laughs> waiting for the candle to burn down and go out so they can find out whether or not Crane is successful in finding Abby in the Netherlands, right? So since Crane wasn't available, it had to be Jenny and Joe. Now, one of the things that Joe also had said that was rather funny as they were trying to find out how they could get the gargoyle and what was special about the Stone Manor. And they went to the archives of the library and they started looking up all of this information. They find this letter that was written that had code in it that between Jenny and Sophie, they figured out what it said. And as they're reading it, all of a sudden, boom, the story ends because it was Betsy Ross meeting with Lafayette and they were making the deal where Lafayette was going to be joining the colonists in the Revolutionary War. And so you watch this reenactment that they're reading. And of course, the big gargoyle jumps down to attack them and they go running off. And then the story comes to an end. And Joe yeah. says, Crane usually tells us the rest of the story. story. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened? Well, we don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Crane's always here to tell us. Yeah, that's all it says here. Here, I know. <laughs> uh, so they kind of had to figure out what to do on their own. And they did a very nice job of it, too. Even though Jenny didn't trust Sophie. Because here, Jenny had the idea of using holy water to stop it. And Sophie wanted to bury it in concrete using the concrete mixer that was sitting outside that was being used for the renovations. And Joe was all of a sudden forced into the role of peacekeeper, right? Wait. Wait, stop. We're all trying to get to the same thing here. We need to throw everything we have at this monster. So let's try both of them, which makes sense because they're less experienced in monster bashing. Yes, but I loved the look that Jenny gave him when he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Her plan's not that bad. She gave him big time stink eye. Yes. She wasn't happy with her new boyfriend. No, she was not. She wasn't happy with Sophie because. She gave her the stink eye a couple times as well, which was fantastic. You knew there was going to be some friction between the two. Well, there had to be. Because look look the first half of the season when they were at odds against each other. Well, they were both trying to get to the shard of Anubis and both of them Uh tricked each other. And so, yes, they were absolutely antagonists. And so for, for that to suddenly turn around would not have been realistic. No, but it was good to see Jenny there at the end say, we all did good. Yes. So I think that at that point in time, she understood the value that Sophie could bring to the table. Yes. And of course, we had our tender moment for the shippers (laughs) when Jenny admitted to Joe that she has trust issues. (laughs) And Joe promises that he would stick by her. Oh, how sweet. Not going anywhere. That's our Valentine story. That's all. That's and that's all we're getting, guys. That's your Valentine (laughs) story for this episode. Sorry, kids. Yeah, because Ichabod was, I guess he wasn't quite ready to come clean with his feelings. It seemed like he was close. Oh, yes. Oh, it was right there. I mean, and and that was what was so perfect about it. Because you see Abby, you cut to Crane, and as he's about to speak, it cuts to Jenny and to Joe. And you see them look at each other like, and Joe actually gives that kind of a little nod, like, Yes, Crane. Go ahead and do it, Crane. Go ahead and do it, Crane. You can do it. You can do it. (laughs) And it's funny because remember last week, Crane was telling Sophie about how he understood truly what a partner was. Yes, his better half. 
But you know what? This is only episode 10 of what is supposed to be an 18-episode season, season. so you yes. know we're not getting it yet, guys. <laughs> Sorry, nope. kids. There were no yeah. candy hearts out there. And I know there was a lot of people upset because that was the perfect moment to have no, because you don't do it in front of everybody else. Uh, exactly. It wasn't the perfect moment. That's so true. it needed to wait. Folks, you'll get a much better return for your watching time if they wait a little bit longer. Yes. So how else did uh, Ichabod help out during this episode? Because he was a kind of a floating spirit for most of the, of the 45 episode, minutes. Episode, yeah. He yeah. really didn't have a whole lot... He was the focus of last week's episode, so it made sense that Abby would be more the focus of this episode. Absolutely. I loved how he was the one who had to build the spiritual photo booth Yeah. (laughs) instead of Joe. Well, is it the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? Is that what it's called? Yes. But it did look like a photo booth, didn't it? Yes, it did. You know, you pull the curtains curtains. around it. All they needed Uh was the little camera in there and a few things so you could make crazy poses and that would, it would have worked just fine. But it really was Jenny's spell. It's the one that she found. Right. Which actually does prove that he did finally kind of sit back and rest a little bit and let Jenny and Joe do some of the heavy lifting. And Jenny came up with the spell. Exactly. And there really wasn't a huge, well, I guess there was always a huge risk, but it didn't seem quite as possible to have something go majorly wrong as Crane's plan did last week. Oh, no, that's true. Though, of course, Crane does provide some of the important clues in the episode, especially Betsy Ross's cutlass. And the hieroglyphics. Yeah, and the hieroglyphics that revealed that the eye was the only way out, but it really wasn't. I know, Abby did a great job on her own, but she could not have done that without his help. Yes. Again, cementing, sorry, pun, cementing (laughs) their partnership. Yeah. Yes, that was uh, quite the reaction that we got when she hears his voice. Oh, yes. And so with Abby, I'm going to just say Nicole Bahari. She should win an Emmy for that performance. And I couldn't agree more. She was incredible. And if I didn't have her last week, the way I got her this week was fantastic. I could not be more thrilled with what the writers did and what she did with her character in that episode. I totally agree. It was Raven wrote a beautiful story and everybody knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. And Nicole was at the top. She certainly was. Because you think about this, okay? So Abby told Crane that she had been there for 10 months. For the rest of them, it had been about a month. So when I sit here and I do the math, it's, yeah, I have to do the math. So for every one day in their world, it's about 10 days in her world. She got no sleep. The sun never went down. She didn't eat. Of course, she didn't have to sleep or eat or have anything to drink. But I cannot imagine being completely by yourself in this completely desolate place. And you're up 24-7, and this goes on for months, and you don't really know where you are. You don't know how to get back. You are all by yourself. Yeah. And to me, that it would be claustrophobic in a way for someone like me. You could literally go mad. Yes, it, it will drive you cray-cray. 
especially if you can't sleep, you're never going to get any rest. Yes. It is always going to be right in front and center. You Mm -hmm. don't get a break from it. And she had already mapped out, apparently, all the land that she could. Yep. So just frightening. But when she began, she said, well, wait a minute. You know, she'd been in purgatory. She'd been caught back in the 1700s. And now she's in another strange place. But Abby, girl, you can do it. And she had incredible grit and determination. And she did not give up. I would say that the only time that it appeared she was becoming close to giving up was when she thought she had lost Crane. Yes. Because again, even though it was probably a half a day, of course, in that sequence, then for her, if it was a half a day, then that would be like five days for her. Five days. Five 24-hour days. And so you saw that beginning of that angst, that fear that could easily turn into something like madness if you didn't get it back under control. Right, because she goes up to the chessboard and knocks all the pieces off. She sure did, didn't she? Yes. And, and that's that- when it finally hit her that, oh, if Betsy Ross was here, then she must have found another way out. Exactly. And she stopped to think, what were all the things? What if Crane was here? He and I worked together as partners. What would he say? What would I say? What would we do? And she used all the problem solving techniques that she has as an incredible FBI agent, and she figured it out. Yes, she did. And during that time, even though she knew that Crane was still floating out there, and again, I think this speaks to their closeness, that she kept saying, stay with me, Crane, stay with me, Crane, because she was going to lead him back so they could both get back to the world together. Yes. She had one little speech there, which was basically Crane's version of what he said last week. Exactly. And it, it definitely showed that both of them are so tied to each other. It's only a matter of time, people. And it's interesting because here, while Pandora may have cut the tether that held Crane back to the real world, she could not cut the tether that existed between Crane and Abby. Exactly. And Abby drug him back. She made him come back with her. I think one of the other incredible things about this, and we knew this about Abby, but to watch it was fantastic, is when Pandora was basically saying, I'll give you Crane back. I'll let you go back if you give me what I want, if you give me the eye. And I think Abby understood that Pandora would not go away. Right. That Pandora would continue to haunt her for, what, potentially eternity until Pandora got what she wanted, perhaps if Abby slipped into some type of a fit of madness. Yes. And so she was smart enough to know that ahead of time, and she put her role as a witness ahead of anything else, and she destroyed the stone. And she knew that it was a sacrifice that she may have to make, perhaps at another time in the future, because that's how important the role of witness is to her, and that she knows it is to Crane, that they cannot let evil win. Right. We may have lost the battle, but we did not lose the war. Yes. Again, her performance, I I can't say enough good things about Nicole Bahari's performance. And I've got to give credit, too, to the writers for giving her those words to speak. They were powerful. We'll just credit everyone else, too, from the way that they staged it and everything else that they do when producing a show that I know nothing about. Yes, the gargoyle looked fantastic. Another great job by Corey. Yep, Corey Castellano again, another cool monster for us. Yes. 
We didn't get to see enough of him, I don't think. You know what he would have looked like a little bit too? You know the angel, right? Well, if he had kind of put his wings up there, I mean, he was an angel-like in appearance, but when his little wings were kind of folding into the cement pond, I thought, oh, he could be the dark angel there. Exactly. And it was General Howell that released him to try to stop uh, Betsy and Lafayette from coming up with the agreement. Well, did they actually say that? Yes. They did they say it. Okay. Did. Mm-hmm. okay, you know, and I couldn't remember if they did or not, but when they said the gargoyle was unleashed by the British, I'm thinking it's got to be General Howe, that zombie monster. monster yeah. We've seen <laughs> him was. do so many bad things in the past. Now, how did you think Sophie did trying to fit in with the rest of the team? Well, I think that she did a pretty good job. I think she's a little lost currently. I mean, certainly she feels more comfortable with Crane. She went looking for him, and she worked with him last week, and they talked quite a bit. And I thought it was funny, too, of course, that he told her about the hologram. Right. He told you about that? So certainly he sees the value that Sophie can bring to the table. I'm sure that during his period in the Revolutionary War, he watched people change sides. He changed sides, right? Yes, So I think that he understands that people with the right motivations can do that. And so I think that he's probably more willing to give her a chance. And it seems that Joe is a little bit more willing to give her a chance. Right. Now, we'll see how Abby reacts. She finds out. Abby has not had any interaction, positive interaction with Sophie. No, just like Jenny hadn't. So, Well, except for the time when, okay, at the end of fall semester's episodes where Sophie turned on Atticus Nevins. Right. So she understands that, but she doesn't understand the dynamic that has built with the team so far, and she hasn't had any working relationship with Sophie. Right. So I don't expect Abby to just welcome her with open arms, just like Jenny didn't. No. And and so here's the question. Okay. So Abby's going to come back after being gone for over a month. Okay, we strongly suspect that Danny still has feelings for Abby. Actually, we know he does, because when he was in the hospital, he expressed that, correct? Yes. So he's going to be all freaked out. He's going to want to know where she's been. So the question is, does that scene play out in front of Sophie, or in front of Crane, or in front of both of them? Ooh, I would love to see both of them. You know, I would too, because at first I thought I'd like to see it play out in front of Crane. And then I'm thinking, no, maybe if it's both of them, because then maybe Sophie can help provide an explanation so that Danny doesn't know (laughs) about the monster mash that's coming to Sleepy Hollow. But then I also want Crane to be there because if Danny gives away some of his feelings, I want to watch how Crane is going to react. Yes, exactly. And I know what I want to see. We know what our fans want to see. Yes, the same thing we saw from Crane when we were introduced to Danny. (laughs) Yeah, they they want to see a different type of monster than the ones that Corey Castellano (laughs) creates. They want to see the little green monster of jealousy raise its ugly head. Absolutely. So the Eye of Providence. Okay, when we saw the Eye of Providence next to Abby, it was completely clear. Yes, it Uh, wasn't. The red shard that we saw previously. Not at all. And so I have a theory. Okay. All right. So we know that Betsy Ross went to this desolate place for some reason, right? But we don't know why. And we know that her sword, cutlass, whatever you'd like to call it, was there. We know that Abby, when she took the shard, 
the eye, when it was red and full of power and she ended up in the tree, we know she didn't die. Okay, so let's go back a couple episodes to Novus Ordo Seclorum when we learned about Paul Revere's nephew. And supposedly he handled the shard and then he supposedly died, right? Yes. What if he didn't really die? What if he ended up in the same desolate place that Abby ended up? Hmm. Now, Paul Revere in the fourth episode this season in the Sisters Mills saved Betsy's niece from that creepy tooth fairy, right? Yes, absolutely correct. Okay, so if Paul saved Betsy's niece from the creepy tooth fairy, which happened years before Paul's nephew would have died, then maybe Betsy, working with Grace Dixon, knew how to go and bring the nephew back. And maybe that's why Betsy went to this place and why her cutlass was still there in the tree. Because she went and she got Paul Revere's nephew back as a way to pay him back for saving her niece. I like the theory. Um, I am going to assume that the hidden one was basically in a hibernation state. Otherwise, he would have eaten them. That's the only flaw in my theory that I can come up with is where would he have been hiding? He could have been in a tomb for all we know. I mean, that would probably be the only way you could get him there and have him not do more damage than there already is. Yeah. So, yes, I believe that, yes, while he was in the catacombs, he was not awake or he would be the one crazy. Well, you know, and because he's a god, he probably has different powers and he can put himself into slumber or whatever, sleep away the millennia. Yes. But otherwise, I can't think of any reason that Betsy would have been there. No, not at all. Well, and I'm kind of thinking that they're going to tell us that later on, because I think we're going to need to know about it at some point for the monsters. And look, we know that Betsy didn't tell Crane about the Tooth Fairy monster. Right. So it would make sense that she wouldn't have told him that she went to the catacombs to go bring back Paul Revere's nephew. I don't Another know. Another decent theory there, Barb. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Steve. Now, I don't know how they'd find that out, but I'd be surprised if the writers left us dangling on that one. I have to think that's going to come up later. Let's hope so, at least. Yep. It would be interesting. I mean, if, if it never gets answered, I'm okay with that, but I think that they may answer it later for us. All right. What do we think of Daddy Mills? We finally get to meeting this episode. He wasn't very rude to Joe, but he wasn't very nice either, did you think? Yeah. He was kind of put off that some guy was at his door asking about the neighborhood. And he had a pretty nice house there, didn't he? It wasn't too bad at all. No, with some nice things in it. So I wonder where he got all his money. Well, I'm sure he earned it, but it sure didn't (laughs) end up going to his daughters. No, it didn't. But I still think, and of course, this is my crazy theory from last fall. I still think he's somehow aligned with the artifact business. Either he was working with August and he went to the dark side or he was working with Atticus. I think that there's something not nice about him over and above the fact that he deserted his wife and his daughters. Yes, and it may have been something that he did that actually caused Mama Mills to go crazy. Yeah, that's very possible. Yes, he could have brought something in the house that basically ended up haunting Mama Mills for the rest of her days. What if he unleashed a demon from one of his artifacts? What Mm -hmm. if he messed up? Yeah. 
But if he messed up, then I would think that he would feel guilty about it or ashamed. And here he seems to be more self-confident and, oh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe that he, he just doesn't really care that it's about him. But I think we'll find out in the future episodes. I think we will, too. There is that episode that mentions father that's coming up. So, yes, I'm sure we are going to find out. And it'll be interesting to see what it is that takes them back to him. Right. What about Pandora and the Hidden One? Because you know what I think about the Hidden One. Yeah, and I tend to agree with you on that point is, I mean, yes, I understand now that she was probably just some... Mortal? Mere mortal? mortal. Yeah, mere mortal that had may have practiced witchcraft back in the day and... He fell in love with her, actually gave her some of his power so she could be more powerful to stand beside him. But I don't think he ever saw her as somebody standing beside him. That's just not, demigods don't think that way. No, it's all about self-absorption. Yes. But, you know, here they are. We know their husband and wife. Now, when he was extracting the shard out of Jenny, he could clearly see the pain that it was causing and he could care less. And yet he's doing this to his quote unquote beloved wife. So the question is, okay, Pandora, how much bullying and abuse are you going to take before you lash back at your your hubby here? Yes. And I am like you, that would be just an awesome way to end this season is having Pandora turn on him. I think that would be just awesome to see that. So since he has more power now, and I suspect with the upcoming monsters and demons coming to Sleepy Hollow, he may be able to absorb more power. Yes. Because I don't want Pandora to take him down. I want, if she plays a part in it before she expires for her own evilness, I think that's marvelous. Right. But I really want our team to take him down. But it would be nice to see her turn on him. Yes, it would. Because I'm really not liking the hidden one very much at all. (laughs) No, he's... Definitely doing bad guy very well. Yes, he certainly is. Now, do we think that Abby may have some residual effects of her 10 months of isolation? And I think so. And I'll tell you why even more. Because even though she was gone for 10 months and she had a remarkable way of telling time Mm -hmm. um, with the sand, I thought that was incredibly intelligent. But she never got any sleep. So you got to figure it was more like over a year, right? or Mm -hmm. even longer, in equivalent waking hours. And that is a long time to undergo that type of stress and to not be impacted. So I'm thinking that she is absolutely going to have some issues with coming back to real life. Yes, and explaining coming up with some kind of reasonable explanation for Danny is that will be something to see. Okay, so I admit, I'm really scratching my head about this one. I don't know what on earth they could come up with to explain her disappearance for a month. No. What's Danny's reaction going to be? Is he going to be glad to see her? Or is he going to still be mad because not only did she quit, she took a lot of weaponry when she did go? I think it's going to be both. I think that he's going to be delighted to see her, but then kind of get angry, especially if he thinks that she's not telling him the truth about where she really was. Right, which it won't be. And she won't be, and I think he's going to be able to tell that. Oh, nice. But I still can't figure out what her explanation is going to be, uh, what that she was injured, and he would say, well, why didn't you tell us? Or, I don't know. 
or I had a personal, you know, breakdown and I couldn't let you know. But remember, she quit the force. Yes. So really, it shouldn't even be his concern, but of course it is. Yes. And I don't think he actually accepted her resignation. You know, that's marvelous. In all honesty. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? If I quit at work one day, it is going to be my resignation. Too bad, so sad. Don't accept it. I'm gone. (laughs) You're not dragging me back. So I don't know how he can expect her to still be part of the team and say, I don't accept it. Because she was like, bye-bye, I'm gone. I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. That meeting will definitely be very interesting. And it's got to be next week, and I'm really looking forward to it. (laughs) Exactly. That's going to be fun. Yes. And will Danny actually have a run-in with one of the monsters that shows up in town? I think that before the season is over, he's going to have to. Yes. Because I don't think that there's any way that they can hide it. And Sophie knows that monsters are coming to town as well. Right. Now, she certainly can't tell that to Danny because he will think that she's lost a few screws. Yes. But I think that the perhaps the number of incidents will begin to crank up because if the monsters and the demons are coming from a lot of different places, they can't all arrive at the same time. No. Plane schedules and train schedules don't work that way. <laughs> so I think that there will be begin to be a spike in incidents, and he's going to figure out that something else is going on, and he's going to finally say to Sophie or to Abby or to both of them, what is going on? You guys have to tell me now. Right. But again, we know that something else is going on from last season that Danny may know more than what he's been letting on. And we haven't seen that since, what shall we call it, the first act? So it should right. show up in the fourth. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. All right. So, Steve, we didn't have quite as many ickyisms this week because Crane was floating around in woohoo land, right? Exactly. But everybody else sort of pitched in and took care of the lines for him, didn't they? Yes, we had some absolute golden lines. Raven just kept things flowing, even though Ichabod was MIA for quite a bit. Of course, one of the first great lines is Ichabod telling Joe, haters are going to hate. Oh, yeah. Take that, trolls. (laughs) Exactly. I thought that was a great line. I absolutely yes. loved it. Yes. And that wasn't only directed at Joe, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think so. But yeah, using Siji to uh, win a massive Scrabble battle is uh, yeah, quite I got, impressive. I got to write that one down. I've never seen that one before. No. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> I can use it in words with friends. There you go. Now, of course, after Abby has called for... Crane, then Joe, then Jenny, and she walks out towards the light. Of course, you're wanting to say, don't go to the light, Abby. Don't go to the light, Abby. Don't go to the light. (laughs) (laughs) We see her, and she goes, we're not in Kansas anymore, are we? Oh, no, that was beautiful. Then I'm like, where's Toto? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they pan out to see the whole thing, and oh, just wonderful stuff. Oh, that was fantastic. That was great. Yes. Fantastic CGI. And then as Danny and Sophie are uh, going up to the uh, manor and they're kind of talking about the murder and Danny goes, something's not adding up. And Sophie says, you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many gargoyles are on top of that tower? How many are yeah. there supposed to be? And of course, we mentioned Joe saying, so this is like a lion, witch and wardrobe thing. Yes. And 
I'm sorry. Jenny had to have the line of the night. That was the best <laughs> line. And I think there are a lot of people who can relate to this line. I had an ex-boyfriend like that. Lots of attitude and a head full of rocks. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> and then Crane's last words. When you think he's about to either give Abby a big hug, kiss, or Express tell her he's, love. you know, she's his better half. He has to spit this out. In the catacombs, I didn't get a chance to tell you. Your move to counter my Queen's Night 4 with... That was a false gambit. I'd have outfoxed you handily. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like making the moment count. Exactly. But it broke all the tension and everybody laughed. And and they were all okay. They were team witness a, again. Yeah, happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. Or at least until. Until next, next week. week. All right. What kind of goodies have you got for us in the history lesson, Barb? Well, they talked about the Marquis de Lafayette. So today's lesson is going to be about George Washington and Lafayette. Now, the Marquis de Lafayette, now they showed him as being very young on the show, and they would have been completely correct with that. He was only 19 years old when he met George Washington in 1777, just after the Continental Congress appointed him to be a volunteer major general in the Continental Army. Now, this was very surprising because he was a very rich young Frenchman, and he left his homeland to join the Revolutionary Army to fight the British. Now, his father had been killed by the British in 1759 when he was only two years old, and he was raised to hate the British, and he did. So the Americans came to Paris to try and recruit and enlist French army officers to their cause. Now, remember, the British had hired their own Hessian soldiers, right? Yes. The Hessians were in the war. That was Those were part of the folks that Howe was commanding. So seeking assistance was not uncommon during that period. Now, Lafayette had no practical military experience, and he was recruited for his connections to the French court. He sailed to the colonies, and he met George Washington, and he immediately became committed to George Washington and the cause. He served without pay, and he spent the equivalent in today's dollars of about $200,000 of his own money for the expenses of his staff and the officers. Now, Washington didn't have any sons, and he was immediately struck by Lafayette, and so he treated him sort of as a son, and he didn't want him to be hurt in battle. But Lafayette insisted on fighting, and he proved to be a very courageous and intelligent fighter in battle. Now, Lafayette later served under Major General Nathaniel Green, and those two also maintained a lifelong friendship. He was a very trusted and valued confidant of Washington as well. In 1779, Lafayette returned to France, and he helped convince the king to engage the British fleet in the Caribbean and to send troops to assist the colonists. This proved to be a boost for the war effort. He also played a critical role during the siege of Yorktown, and his efforts definitely helped bring independence to the colonies. So I want to say thanks to mountvernon.org for this information, and Very I'm going nice. to include the link to this in the show notes. But indeed, of all of the foreigners, if you will, that helped the colonists gain their independence, Lafayette was the most prominent. That was some great stuff there. Very impressed. 
So, Steve, do we have a little feedback here today? Yes, we do. Once again, our bestie Justina is making sure she gets her feedback in time. Yeah, Justina rocks. I'm so glad that we get her audio every week because then we don't have to read it, do we? Exactly. Not so, that we wouldn't accept it. Yes, and we would happily read it. But Absolutely. At least with Justina, we don't. So here's Justina. Hi, Marvin, Steve. I give this episode of Sleepy Hollow 9 out of 10 flames rekindled. I really liked it. We were all right when we theorized that time is moving differently in the place where Abby was trapped than it is here on our Earth. I really enjoyed watching Jenny and Joe work together in the absence of Abby and Crane. It was cracking me up when they were like, Well, usually Crane sticks his finger in the air and then he gives some obscure historical reference. Which is totally true. So at this point, Pandora looks about done. Unless with the demon convention coming to town, she is able to steal some power from a lesser demon. Because the hidden one seems like a selfish person. I don't think he's going to give any power back. But maybe, just maybe, if a few smaller, weaker demons come to town, she'll be able to drain power from multiple smaller demons to bring herself back into power. I'm a little bit surprised that they brought Crane and Abby back so quickly. When Crane's tether got cut, I thought they might be switching places. And we'd have to save Crane for a couple of weeks. So I'm a little bit disappointed that it resolved so quickly. But happy to see the team back together again. I really, really thought Ichabod was going to tell Abby that he loved her at the end of the episode. There was a dramatic pause and everything. But even though he didn't say it, I still say that their devotion to each other is strong. So this is Justina signing out. And recommending that you do not go into abandoned stone manors alone. Have a great week. Well, that was just a fantastic call on the passage of time, Justina. It absolutely was. Just like Barb's call of Abby being where the hidden one was trapped. Thank you. And I'm sure almost everyone was expecting a little more than Crane's humor in that final scene of team witness together. (laughs) Yes, Justina, you and all the rest of the shippers out there, their hopes soared and then they were crushed. But the season isn't over yet. Hang in there, folks. That's right. Just like that gargoyle could have crushed quite a few things given the opportunity. That's kind of what it felt like was that gargoyle's fist coming down. Kaboom. Absolutely. On some hearts. (laughs) Aww. All right. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and the season so far. So please send us your feedback and theories. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. This week's shout outs go to the following. Natty Willie. Debbie Lamb. Kim AC, Lily Russell, and all of the fans over at the Sleepy Hollow Facebook fan site for all their likes of our posts of when our podcast is available. We really, really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, we really do. And we would absolutely love to hear from you all. Just drop a note. Tell us what you think. And you can do that in a couple of different ways. Getting in touch with us, that is. Our voicemail number is 304-837-2278, or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, 
where you can use the SpeakPipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can type out your feedback on the form, or you can even record something on your phone, like Justina did, and you could attach your audio feedback. Now, our feedback deadline is normally Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, so send something in. We know that's a tight turnaround, but we want to go ahead and make sure that we get out this episode pretty quickly for you all. You can also engage us at Witness Prophecies on Facebook or on Twitter at Witness Prof GSM. You can get touch with Steve at Salyer Steve, and I'm at Tangier14. And now we've come to the point in the podcast where we are going to be discussing visions of the future. So run fast, quickly, as if the gargoyle himself were pursuing you. As we discuss upcoming episodes, episode 11, February 19th, Kindred Spirits. Abby and Crane face an unexpected blast from the past on an all-new Sleepy Hollow. As Abby and Crane and Jenny struggle to find normalcy, yeah, I would hope so, the Kindred reemerges as a new threat. What? Oh, goody, 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 goody. (laughs) Yes, we're glad Kindred's back, but as a new threat, no. While the team (laughs) attempts to figure out why the Kindred has turned to evil, Crane finds that his romantic encounters with Zoe may have caused long-lasting trouble. Hmm. Uh Uh-oh. Here we go again. I know. I'm not going to speculate this week. I'm going to be good. I will, too. After our uh, last week's episode speculation on that one. I know. uh, Tell us about episode 12. Well, And I know. And we'll see it in just a few days. So we can have patience to them. And then we'll find out what it really means. Exactly. Okay. So the 12th episode is going to air on February the 26th. And here it comes. Sins of the Father. So I think that we can pretty much guess we're going to see Ezra Mills again. Yes. And someone else. Atticus Nevins returns on an all-new Sleepy Hollow. I know, the puddle of blood. He's, <laughs> he's going to be back. When Jenny makes the decision to confront her father, ooh, family turmoil from the past rises to the surface. I wonder if Joe is going to encourage her to do that. That may not be a good move on his part if he does. Yeah confronting those trust issues. Meanwhile, Atticus Nevins returns to town, bringing more danger than the FBI could have imagined in the all-new Sins of the Father. So, okay, do you think he's going to bring some demons in with him? And who on earth would have saved him? Well, maybe Pandora. No, maybe the Hidden One is going to conjure him up because he thinks that Pandora isn't strong enough to do anything. Hmm. Uh, Maybe. I guess we'll find out. But the good thing is, is at least we know that all of Nevins's goodies have been dispersed between other people. So if he wants any of those goodies for evil doings, he's going to have to get them back first. So at least that'll slow him down some. That's true. Okay. Episode 13, March 4th, Dark Mirror. The New Jersey Devil targets the town on an all-new Sleepy Hollow on Friday, March 4th. As a monster resembling the fabled New Jersey Devil ravages Sleepy Hollow, Crane must draw on his past to find the connection. Oh, good, a history lesson. Yes. Meanwhile, Jenny and Joe stumble as they navigate their new relationship, and Abby continues to struggle with the aftermath of her trauma. Uh Uh-huh. Jenny and Joe stumble. Oh. Yes, this Aww. is going to be some intense uh, episode here because we are going to meet Crane's kindred spirit, 
in Benjamin Franklin hating, if nothing else. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Sleepy Hollow has cast the Knicks' Charles Aiken as the Founding Fathers' arch enemy, TV Line has learned exclusively. Ooh. Per the official character description, which was first posted about in a recent Ask Osiello, I've got intel on a new old resident who's going to make his presence known in the new year. Dr. Japheth Lee, a handsome, twisted, mysteriously brooding genius who was Benjamin Franklin's biggest competition when it came to alchemy. Leeds eventually turned to the darker arts, which backfired when an experiment turned him into the legendary Jersey Devil. Ooh. And we're not talking hockey here. <laughs> Crane and Leeds come face to face again in modern day Sleepy Hollow after Ichabod learns that the doctor paid the ultimate price when one of his twisted experiments went awry. Oh my. Now, Aiken's TV credits include Madam Secretary and ITV's Foils war. Okay, so here's a thought. You know how Crane is always dissing on Ben Franklin. Yes. But if he meets his arch enemy, he might actually have to stand up for Benny. That would be very interesting to see him have to do that. that? Now, I'm sure we're going to get a flashback where they're both dissing Franklin. But yeah, maybe in the end, it will be something of Franklin's that ends up defeating the Jersey Devil, and Crane's going to have to. <laughs> He's going to have to eat his words somewhere along the line. Okay, that would be terribly, terribly funny. Yes, it would. <laughs> okay, good. That's something to look forward to. Yes, it is. And then the episode after that, number 14, we only have a title for that one, Into the Wild. But yes. again, you know, we've got we've got a nice run of episodes here. Since there are supposed to be 18 episodes, that would leave four more after that. So I guess the question is, will they continue on straight through or will they take a small break and then we'll have them, you know, into the Finish April, May the final sweeps four, yeah. period. Yeah. But we'll find out when they tell us. Yes, we will. Now, if you haven't already gotten the book, Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Demons and Monsters, the official making of book, go get it. It's a fantastic book by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. And if you haven't, please go do it. Swing by goldenspiralmedia.com. Use our Amazon links and get that ordered ASAP. It is wonderful. And we did review this about yes. a month ago, I guess. Yeah, about a month. And it really is a fantastic book. And I think that it's something that you, you as a true Sleepy Hollow fan, would want to have in your library. And really besides, we can go read about the Kindred. That's right. Before next week. Fantastic stuff. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com backslash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we hope you're enjoying our podcast. And as always, don't forget to check out our Amazon links. So this is Steve, and aren't all X's? Lots of attitude and head full of rocks. And this is Barb signing out. And I'm hope that your special Valentine is a whole lot nicer than the hidden one. <laughs> See you next week, sleepyheads.